Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the ASHP Women in Pharmacy Leadership Series. This podcast invites members to share their stories and experiences on a broad range of topics affecting women in the pharmacy profession. My name is Jade Bryant, and I'm a pharmacist at Southwest Memorial Hospital in Cortez, Colorado. Speaking with me today are Michelle Carasquillo, Clinical Pharmacy Manager at St. Joseph's Hospital North Bay Healthcare System in Tampa, Florida, and Jennifer Tryon, Associate Vice President, Chief Pharmacy Officer and Health System Pharmacy Administration and Leadership Residency Program Director at Wake Forest Baptist Health in North Carolina. Today, we're going to be discussing the importance of self-awareness, self-reflection, and building your executive presence. So I would love to start off by asking each of you your thoughts on why this topic is important for both your personal and professional success. Jen, let's start with you. Thanks, Jade. And thank you so much for having me here today. This is a, a real pleasure and honor to be here to talk about this particular topic. And for me, I, I find so much value in this topic because it, it really gets down to how can we each be the best us? How can we put our best foot forward, represent ourselves well? And in this case, I, I do think that there is, there's a toolkit that we can develop, a leadership toolkit that helps us react in an environment uh, and to a particular audience, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or a large group, that helps us be more effective. And if we hone these tools and get better at them, I think how we are perceived, what our personal brand and our professional brand becomes can improve and, and get even better than how it exists today. So I, I'm passionate about the topic and I get really excited about it. When I think about it, you know, how do we put ourselves for, you know, how do we put our best selves forward? And, and with that, it, it relates to everything from our, our personal appearance to what we say and the content of what we say and how we say it and how we communicate and how we're viewed by others, both at first and over time. And so when I reflect on this, there's as much to learn about what to do as what not to do and to try to minimize either bad habits or habits that we we perceive as bad habits or things that we don't want to incorporate into our leadership persona uh, and convey to others. And so for me, this is an opportunity to have the, the discussion about this, to learn from one another and to get better in the space so that, so that we can best convey uh, who we are as individuals, behave according to our values and get our messages and across that help us optimize the outcome of whatever we're trying to influence in one-on-one -on -one interactions or group interactions or whatever it might be. Michelle, do you have some thoughts on this as well? I do. Thanks so much, John. And thanks so much, Jade, for having me here today. It's an honor to be here with both of you. You know, Jen really hit it on the nail when she said that it's really about how we influence others as pharmacists, we're all very accomplished and we come to the table with credentials that signify that we have accomplished a certain level of expertise. And we're bringing that to the table, whether it's in those one-on-one -on -one interactions or those group settings. But building our executive presence doesn't equate to building our aptitude to perform an accomplished task. It's really important because it gives us the tools to influence those around us into believing that we have what it takes to accomplish those tasks and to perform, that we have what it takes to be indispensable at the table. How you act, how you speak, how we look, all of that influences others' perceptions of us. And the reality is that as women, there are so many double standards within our society that we battle against as we're building our own executive presence and these are things that we have to be aware of. We have to be aware of how we're perceived so that we can be intentional about that image that we're projecting. It's not about changing who we are as individuals, but changing our approach. We all want to be a very authentic image of ourselves, but we don't want that to detract from the substance 
that we bring to any conversation or interaction. So I'm very excited to talk about this a little deeper today with our audience. And as someone who's really very early in her career, it's great to be able to be here with you guys and learn from you. Um, so along the lines of kind of changing your approach, um, can you guys share some of the examples of feedback that you've received along the way? And how have you, how have you incorporated that feedback into your own self-reflection? Absolutely. So one of the pieces of feedback that I am still working on mastering is the use of filler words, especially when I'm put into situations where I feel a little bit more nervous. Uh, some examples, uh, especially when presenting to executives or, or higher ups within the organization, I do get a little bit more nervous just uh, being in their presence. And so these fillers tend to creep in. And the feedback that I've received is that they detract from the overall message that I'm bringing. They affect how much buy-in I am creating with those in the room. And I think that one of the most helpful pieces uh, for me has really been thinking ahead. I know what my message is as I'm coming into most of these conversations. So being strategic about preparing myself ahead of time, thinking about what are the questions that are going to come up, know my audience, uh, who's in the room, what are they going to ask of me so that I can think ahead and be prepared. And this helps me even when I'm nervous to not have those slip in and not detract from the message that I'm trying to bring forward. Michelle, I'm just going to build on that a little bit because as, as uh, you were talking about some of the filler words, you know, even just hearing you say it gets me thinking about it. And I do that as well. And I, I think that's just a comfort level for us. And as we're working with mentors and others, it, it's a great way to ask for feedback. You know, this is something I'm working on. Can you tell me if you hear some of these words and some of the ones I've been told I say, or, you know, maybe it's um, or, you know, or you know, whatever those words are, but working with mentors or, or others that can help fill some of that in, I, I think is, is really helpful. Uh, so I really appreciated you sharing that because it's, it's something I relate to. And, you know, I, I think that's feedback that I've heard before and I continue to work on. I'll, I'll just share some of my perceptions or, or my experiences with feedback as well, because there are the, the ones that are tough to hear they, they seem to stay with you throughout your career. You know, they never go away or throughout your life. And, and I think it's because they are difficult messages to hear and, and you're thinking about them and that's, that's a good thing. And just because the feedback's provided certainly doesn't mean you have to incorporate it, but definitely worth considering, especially if you respect the person who shared it with you. So uh, for myself, I, I think back to a, a, some feedback I received when I was a resident and I was told that I smile too much and laughed too much, maybe even sometimes too loudly. And I think this is important because sometimes as, as women, uh, I hear speech where we laugh our way through some of the, the content of what we're saying. And when I first heard this, I, I it, it took me aback because immediately I thought, well, goodness, you never see anyone on a billboard with an advertisement not smiling. Smiling's a good thing. And for myself, it, it was um, it's a big part of who I am because I grew up in Western Europe. We moved countries every few years. And so I, I would be in a school where sometimes I didn't speak the language right away. It took me a little while to pick that up. And so smiling became part of who I was and, and, and who I am because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a way to convey that I'm a friendly person. I'm approachable and I, I want to convey that message. As I worked through this with mentors, what I realized was that there's a time and place to smile and laugh. If I'm laughing or smiling in an elevator where someone just received some difficult news about a loved one or about themselves, that may not be the best message to convey empathy. And so trying to find the constructive element of this and using the appropriate time for smiling and laughter, it, it was great feedback. And it's something that, you know, I'd love to share with other women around when you deliver a message, deliver the message, whatever it needs to be, and, and don't laugh your way through it unless you're in a circumstance where it, it, it really is appropriate with friends or whatever that might be to laugh through your message. Another uh, point of feedback that I received 
uh, pretty interestingly, is is about dress. You know, there have been times in my career where I've I've received great feedback, uh, great uh, information about my growth, and I've been told you're ready for the next level. Except, except there are some things that you should consider, and that is related to your executive presence. You know, maybe dress a little manlier, or maybe show um, show that you have a command of your subject matter by. Uh, talking in a lower voice, for example. And so, you know, as I, I think about executive presence and how you can influence those, again, I, I, for myself, my identity, I'm a woman, I'm not looking to be a man, but there could be some messages in there around, you know, my, my speech patterns or I'm okay to wear red or pink but when I need to wear a suit, then I'm, I'm going to wear a suit. And so for me, I've, I've, I've picked some pieces and, and chosen some aspects and then decided not to incorporate other aspects just because I've considered it and, and moved through that. And so, uh, you know, I think hearing the feedback from people that you care about, who you know uh, they care about you, and, you know, they're, they're trying to convey a message to help you get better I, I try to listen to that, and I often work through with mentors how I can how I can improve and how I can incorporate, you know, what's been shared with me. And so these are a couple of pieces that have that continue to be thoughts in my mind because you know they mean something to to other people, and and uh, I, I think they're things that I just continue to work on throughout my career. So this conversation around perceptions, I think, is really interesting. I think taking some time to reflect on the qualities that you see in other people that really stand out to you and how you kind of want to model your behavior after some amazing leaders that you've seen. So I'm interested to know um, what wow factors that you've observed in others and, and kind of why that's stuck with you. Some thoughts right out of the gate related to this one. You know, the wow factor for me is when I hear someone speak, whether it's on stage in front of a large audience or in a one-on-one -on -one meeting with my, you know, talk, conversation with myself, if, if I think, wow, how do they do that? How do they make me feel like I want to hear more? Or how do they make me feel like that's a great idea? It's, it's almost like a feeling for me, uh, not even so much how things look or, you know, what the outcomes are, but really how I feel as a person interacting with them, no matter what that experience is. And so, you know, when I think about this wow factor, again, let me just go back to residency. I, I remember observing a woman in residency who, who led our investigational drug service, and she was someone who was not always the first to speak. She, when she did speak, people would stop and listen. And she, she was fairly soft-spoken. But what I observed her do was provide great content and always meaningful. She wasn't filling space, but always meaningful words. And then I watched her expertly. I observed her to expertly ask questions at key moments that would often redirect the conversation. And I found that to be incredibly impactful others in the room would respond to her. And sometimes that would take the, the discussions and the decision points down a different direction. And, and so that feeling of the audience and the, the way they related to her was very impactful to me and very much a wow factor. I've also observed other leaders who, who I respect immensely, you know, leaders like Bruce Scott and Sarah White, who make connections with people in a way that wants you, that makes you want to have more time with them. And it's pretty clear that they, they care about the, the content of what they're saying and the people they're saying it to. They're able to convey that in uh, their messages. They use personal experiences. But these are individuals who don't act like they have all the answers. And yet they've been incredibly impactful over decades. They're very authentic. They come across authentic and, you know, they want to hear from others and learn from others, but also share some perspectives. And I think that authenticity, it's part of who they are as leaders and it just comes across in any interaction that they have. And so for me, it's fun to observe them and 
to, to try to see what they do and how they do it. And then in reflecting on that to see how I could get better with some of those skill sets as well, to be more authentic, to make those connections and to uh, have the connections in a way that leave the audience feeling a certain way about their interactions with me. So those are the wow factors that come to mind for me. And Jen, I really can't agree with you more. I, I feel the same way. It really does come down to the feeling. I want more at the end of whatever interaction that was or whatever presentation that was. I connected with them on a different level. And as Jen mentioned, I think the wow factors for me have really been those people. Uh, I think in her first example that she shared that maybe weren't the first to speak, but were strategic in redirecting the conversation and how they did it by potentially asking those questions. They still achieved their same purpose at the end, but they didn't necessarily have to be the first to speak. And similarly, those with humility who show, showed vulnerability and wanting to work with others in order to find that common ground and, and really create an environment of inclusiveness and working together as a team and how they really accomplished that was by that executive presence, was by the fact that they were able to share their personal experiences in a way to influence us to want to work with them, to want to work together as a team to accomplish their goal. I think I'm often amazed by others and I pay a lot of attention when I'm in meetings, not just to the presenters, but to the audience's reactions because I'm learning too. And when we talk about presenters and people, I also think about maybe some national figures or some national stage uh, type of performances that have caught the world by storm or have garnered a lot of attention. And one recent example that comes to mind that really wowed me was Amanda Gorman. She captivated America at the inauguration and at the Super Bowl with her poetry, but it was deeper than the profound words that she spoke. She mesmerized me and everyone around because it was her overall presence. It was how tall she was standing. It was how confidently she delivered those words. It was the pace of her words and the intentional changes in the inflection within the intensity and softness that she kind of variated between as she delivered those poems. But those pieces, those nonverbal pieces were really what made her message so much stronger. And it's that type of impact that I feel like I look to within the pharmacy profession and within the meetings that I'm in not obviously on the same stage, but I think that those are the presenters that really stand out. It's those that beyond the words that they're saying, they're able to captivate others with those nonverbal cues that amplify their message. I love that example. That's, that's really a great model. So a lot of these wow factors that we've been talking about, they can have a big impact on how you carry yourself and your presence. Um, I know, Jen, that you mentioned earlier feeling ready to move on to the next level, but you received feedback on your, um, that you needed to work on your presence. So building your executive presence can make a big difference for your confidence and growth. And I know we've kind of talked about that wow factor. So on the other side of that, are there any habits that you've observed that people or women specifically should try to avoid? Yeah, this is a really good question. And, you know, there are things about yourself that you can hone and get better at, and there are some things you can't change. So, you know, if, if somebody comments on your age, for example, that's not something you can change. Uh, but there, and so you just move on from that. But for the things that you really can change or influence to, to put your best self forward, there are some things that I think are inherent to women that are worth mentioning. And so let me just share a few of those. But the first one is I have a coworker who has shared with me that there are times that I apologize. And I probably apologize too much. Women tend to have high empathy. I'm one of those highly empathetic individuals. And I think I have shared that in ways that uh, relate through an apology. 
And what my, my teammate and coworker shared with me, he's, he said, use your apologies for when they matter. Save them for when they matter. And so I asked him, will you maybe give me a cue when we're in circumstances and you hear me apologize? And so he'll just raise a finger for me. And it happens more often than what I had realized. And so this is an area that I have certainly worked on. I have also observed it pretty significantly with some of our other teammates who are predominantly women. And so I think just trying to save that apology for when it matters, there's nothing to apologize for and have uh, team members or mentors or whoever it is help you identify when they come up so that they're not habitual can be really helpful from an executive presence perspective. Another one is avoiding self-deprecating statements. And these are not always blatant, but after a, a, an opinion is given by a, a woman, for example, just state the opinion and move on. We don't need to share statements like, I hope that's what you're looking for, or was that okay? We, we don't need that feedback. It's great to share opinions. You're there to have perspective and input. And so anything that is self-deprecating is in a statement is just not helpful. It's not value added. And in fact, in our self-talk in our minds, we should be telling ourselves you're a lion and this is a great perspective. Make sure you get it out there so that it can be considered and heard and good for you for doing that. And so I, I think that's really important as well. A, a few practical things that I'll share are not ending with a question. Let me, let me restate that. A statement as a question. So at the end of, 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 of sharing something, saying, you know, well, that's really what I was thinking about, you can, you can end it with a solid point. You can just make your statement and move on. And sometimes with a, a sing-song or a valley type of a talk or whatever it might be, we end with a high inflection that in, indicates that it's almost as a question and not as a statement. And so that's something that we can get better at. And then a few other things that have uh, been shared with me that I'll, I'll share here, and that is slowing our rate of speech, being deliberate in what we state, and this one will sound a little strange, but I do think that lowering our voice in certain circumstances can be advantageous. I was listening to a podcast not long ago where female litigators tend to have lower success rates than male lit litigators. And it gets into, as it was being discussed, it gets into that the ability to influence and to make a point resonates greater when your voice is lower, slower paced and deliberate. And women litigators tend to not, we tend to be higher pitched as women, maybe a faster rate of speech. And so these are things that I think we can just slow down and, and intentionally try to influence. And maybe the best time to practice them is when we're practicing for a presentation or a, a project pitch or a, a message that we're trying to deliver. But I do think that those can be incredibly helpful. And then one other point I just want to share related to executive presence, especially for women, is that the these elements can come across not only in what and how we say things, but also in our written communications. So from an email standpoint, I, I think just being cognizant that these trends can also come across through email and maybe limiting the number of punctuation points that we use or uh, the smiley faces. These are not value added, especially in business communications. I remember a story from a little bit earlier in my career, and there was a, a, a pharmacist that worked with us who was very frustrated with one of the leaders. And she put her communication down in an email and sent that to the leadership team. So I, I received it as a member of the leadership team. And the, the comments were pretty direct. And at the end, there was a statement that still sticks with me. It says, I hope this is information that you'll consider because it's important to me, smiley face. And I thought the smiley, the, the, my comment was the smiley face doesn't take away the blunt edge of everything that was shared in this email communication. And if you feel like it needs to be blunt, then just be blunt. And so these are comments related to executive presence that I think can help us 
get get better and improve and have the impact, the intended impact that we're trying to have. Michelle, I don't know. Are there some others in, in your in your experience that, that could help us get better with executive presence? Jen, the, the truth is a lot of the things that you mentioned, I honestly learned from you uh, in, in classes uh, and in uh, seminars uh, with you and, and Sarah White. And there are things that I've taken into practice and, and being intentful is, is of the utmost important. I know that I had mentioned earlier that the use of filler words can detract from the message. And similarly to the smiley face, it's something that you need to be intentful about. Uh, so English is my second language. And I find that there's more of a delay as I translate things, especially when I'm nervous. And that plays in a little bit into how those fillers kind of find their, their way in there. And I mentioned the whole practicing piece can sometimes help with that. I, I think additionally, Jen, when you mentioned the smiley face, I think there's also a fine line with coming across as too casual uh, with your professional relationships, depending on where those emails are going or who you're interacting with. And that's not to say you can never send a smiley face. That's not to say you can never joke around with those around you, but you have to know your audience. You have to know yourself and you have to know how you're being perceived and you need to be conscientious about that. So I think that Jen, your point about being so intentful and being so purposeful with recognizing that and utilizing those mentors in your life to help you pinpoint those moments that maybe those habits are slipping in and they might not be pervasive in your everyday work. They might be things that pop up in certain situations. And I think it's really important to establish relationships with those that you trust so that you can identify these habits that might not be presenting you to the world exactly how you want to be presented. I'm really enjoying hearing you guys talk about this. And I definitely know that I will be incorporating some of this feedback into my practice. Um, so we have been talking a ton about feedback and how it's very important for self-reflection and growth. How do you two go about sharing some of these op observations with your colleagues? So Jade, I just mentioned, you know, the importance of, of mentorship. I think equally important is the relationships that we build as women with other women. I know that there is sometimes a lot of competition, uh, woman to woman, uh, within the work environment, within just life in general. And I really think it's important to create an environment of uplifting those around us. And when we do that, it really creates an environment of trust and mutual respect. Jen, you, you had mentioned earlier that you took some of that feedback that was given to you because you respected where it was coming from. And I think that when you're giving feedback to the women around you or to others, it's so important that they know it's coming from a genuine place of care and concern that within your heart, you truly have their best interests at, at heart and you're not coming from a place of criticism or a place to tear them down. Telling someone that their skirt is too tight or their shirt is too low cut or other pieces of feedback, it's not a comfortable conversation for either party involved. It never will be, but you have to create a safe space. That person has to be able to trust you that you're invested in their success. And when you're sharing that with them, you need to present it as such, that it's something that you're bringing forward because you are invested in their success. Also, I think it's really important that we praise each other when we get it right. We're often so quick to provide that constructive feedback or criticism, but I don't think we take enough time to actually praise others when they are getting it right, to encourage that behavior, to encourage that change. And so if you're giving someone feedback that, hey, you need to change, for example, I'll take the feedback that I had 
uh, shared that I had received about the filler words. Recently, my boss gave me some really great feedback about how far I've come since uh, he had originally provided that feedback to me. And I really appreciated that. One, I think it showed me that he was truly invested in my personal development. But two, I think it just hones back on that mutual respect piece and that uh, creation of that safe space so that you're not just invested in that moment, but you're invested for a longer period of time, the career. I think Michelle has done a tremendous job sharing many points that are spot on related to how you how you should and, and could share feedback and, and building each other up. I'm just going to add one additional point here related to the virtual environment. And one of the silver linings sometimes of COVID is the number of meetings that we have virtually. And one of the things I've reflected on there is that I see myself on screen. And this is another point of feedback that I did not otherwise have before it was me presenting and I don't see myself. And so what it, that has done is made me more aware of the surroundings around me, another element I had not taken into consideration before, but the surroundings around me and what that says about me, but also my facial expressions. So if I am talking with someone and you know I have a frown, which to me means I'm thinking about what you're saying, it could convey I have a frown and I'm upset with what you're saying. I, I think as we are considering many of these elements that, that we're talking about with showing that you care and making those connections and, and developing the personal relationships, you know, consider that, that virtual environment because we still can make connections through the virtual environment, even first impressions and, and start to build relationships. And so we can, we can continue to help one another in that regard. And, and specific to that, I, this came up because one of my teammates also told me, watch your reactions, because she saw it through the virtual environment for some difficult information that was shared. And so that has been a, a, another gift. And so when I see things in other team members, a, a team member had a specific uh, sculpture behind them that others were uh, sharing, you know, what that looked like. And so, you know, just giving feedback that helps them get better, no matter what it is, how, what you're perceiving, and doing that in that caring manner can, can really be a gift, and, and viewing feedback as that gift and helps us build on, on who we already are. So these are all excellent comments and, and things that I've appreciated hearing from Michelle and that I appreciate hearing from colleagues uh, around me, and, and not things that I take as criticism, but it helps me get better. Shifting gears a little bit, earlier there was a mention of dress as a part of your presence. Um, as someone who doesn't routinely wear makeup, what are your guys' thoughts on norms surrounding dress for women in a professional atmosphere? Jade, I know I mentioned earlier a little bit about double standards, and they are pervasive still. I think we've come a long way, uh, but they're, they're still something that we as women are, are constantly kind of battling. I think that it's really important that the image that you're projecting is an authentic one. You want to feel confident in your own skin. For me, I personally enjoy wearing makeup. It makes me feel more confident and put together uh, when I'm in the room. I also personally find that when I wear heels, I stand a little taller and potentially and more formal in my uh, presentations. And it's easier for me to feel professional, be professional, be on, so to speak. And so for me, those are things that I've recognized. And strategically on days where I have really important meetings, I will wear my heels <laughs> or um, every day I will put on my makeup so that I feel um, put together and prepared uh, for work. And the reason that I bring this up is because both of those pieces play into the confidence that I exude as I'm presenting to others within the professional environment and how I'm portraying myself. And 
I think that's the most important piece. It's not whether you wear the makeup, whether you uh, wear the suit every single day. It's not about the suit. It's not about the makeup. Both of those might be important depending on who your audience is. They might value that a little bit more uh, than the other. But if either one of those makes you personally feel uncomfortable and is going to make you come off as more timid, not comfortable in your own skin, then I think that those are not as important for you. You need to know yourself. But just as importantly, know the audience and know the fact that depending on who that audience is, they might place a little bit more value on those non-verbal pieces, uh, those specific dress pieces, those specific scenarios. So if that's the case, in those scenarios, you want to be intentful to meet what it is that you want your audience to take away from that interaction. And Jen, I don't know if you have other thoughts about this. Yeah, I, I, am, I think you're right on track. I would agree with you. I, I've reflected on this a lot, especially going through the COVID experience because personally I found myself wearing more informal clothing and doing my hair less and doing my makeup a whole lot less. And I'm still able to do my job and I'm still able to, you know, not in a bad, I'm probably even better. I have more time in my day. That said, I, I do think that there are times where it matters. And as women, we should, we should be aware of that. Again, we're trying to be our best selves and that's not an everyday thing, but there's a reason why we wear suits when we go for an interview. We're, we're trying to say we're, we're serious about this and we want you to not have our clothing be what you consider about us, but have my experience and who I am uh, be what you consider. And, and we're trying to put our best selves forward. So I, I do think that there are times where it makes a lot of sense for us to wear more formal clothing, professional clothing. Um, we try to train some of that with some of with our residents when we do site visits out of respect for the site, we'll wear, um, we'll wear suits. When they're giving formal presentations, the residents will wear suits, so will I. Uh, when there's an interview type of a scenario, there are times to do this, if you're going to a professional meeting, perhaps. The, the thing I've shared with others is, I, I think it's better to be overdressed than underdressed if you're doing something formal. I, I think it's great to not have dress code be what's being considered about you as a candidate or as a or as the person representing pharmacy in a discussion. So just take that off the table and, and maybe it's a matter of finding out what the appropriate dress is ahead of time and just asking what is that uh, from someone who has been there before or might be able to advise you on those things because it's just it's nice to make it a non-issue but it, it's not who we are there are just times where I think that there are benefits for wearing makeup or doing your hair or, you know, making sure that you have a higher level of dress code uh, in place. I don't think that that's every day. And I think we also need to consider our audience in that, in those circumstances, you know, the, the patients that we're meeting with, the populations, the, the meeting room, whatever it might be, those are things that we need to take into consideration. Yeah, I think, um, I really like the way you guys talk both about, you know, what gives you confidence um, and then also having respect for the situation that you're in and kind of that situational awareness of how to present yourself in various situations. So as you guys both know, I'm a new mom. My daughter was born in April of last year. And so I'm just curious of how you suggest balancing career and motherhood. I'm going to share some stories related to this because it's really important. I think what, we, what we're faced with as women is very different than what, what our male counterparts are faced with. And let me just share a personal story here. Like you, Jade, I'm, I'm a mom. I had my son, uh, I was five five plus months pregnant at the time that I was interviewing for uh, a pretty significant leadership role, um, a pretty significant leadership role. And in those circumstances, 
one of the first people I told that I was pregnant because, uh, you know, the process had started earlier than that time was the leader uh, who was who was recruiting. And I shared with him that I was pregnant and he was phenomenal. His, his response, I'll never forget, was, well, I appreciate you telling me, but I don't know how that has any bearing on, on the decisions moving forward. And I said, well, please, please understand at the time, if you do decide to interview me or bring me on site for an interview, you will see that I am pregnant by that time uh, because I'm all, you know, at that time I'd already started showing, but I, I've often thought about through that process, you know, a, a male would not have felt those pressures to divulge that they were going to be a new dad or a dad for the first time. But a female is pretty obvious. And then while hiring decisions, for example, are not made or shouldn't be made because whether, you know, based on whether you're pregnant or not or about to be a new mom, but those are are thoughts that enter human beings' minds. And so there is a pressure around this for sure, I think, and not in all scenarios, but I do think it exists. And so my thoughts around this are to be transparent and to realize that you want to work in organizations and on teams and for leaders who respect you as a very competent pharmacy professional and who understand that we have work and life integration points. There have been times where I have needed to leave work a little bit early and my schedule permits that and I've been very upfront with my boss about these things and for me, that depending on the age of my son and what we have going on, I might need to leave work, but then I'll be back online later on after he goes to bed. And I've told my team, when you get emails from me, it's not because I'm asking you to work late in the evenings, but for me, that's my best time to respond to the things that you've sent to me that I may not have been able to get to at 5 p.m. or 4.30 or whatever it might be. So these things fluctuate, and I think you just need to be clear about uh, you know, what your needs are as a mom, as well as as a professional, and what what your teams uh, need from you and, and your work needs from you, and then just find ways to make it work. Uh, and, and that's going to change over time, and, and you need to be okay with that. The other thing I just want to share quickly is one of my colleagues at, at work has shared with me a, a story about a comedian who said he, he received a phone call uh, from his child's school asking what bus his child rode. And he said to the person who called him, why are you calling me? You have two numbers. You have my, the mom's number and you have my number. These are not things that I as a dad would handle. You should be, why'd you call me? Call her. And it, we've laughed about that because there's so many things that we manage as moms and across the board. And I do think women are good at multitasking, but we are challenged to, to integrate those work and life, you know, work life elements and to do that well. And so I think we need to be thoughtful about that, be transparent about what our needs are, and uh, do what's expected of us at work, but also at home. And that's going to change and fluctuate as, as our children grow up. Michelle, you're going to have a different perspective on this, I know, but I'm interested to hear it. Absolutely. So, Jade, I'm, I'm not yet at that stage of my life, but it's something I'm excited about whenever I do get to that point. It's something that I've been able to kind of be, I guess, almost a, a third party um, piece. Um, so I've been able to work a lot with my direct reports at the, as they've been planning out their their families and colleagues uh, have spoken a lot to them. And like Jen mentioned, moms are incredible. There is so much to balance and there's so much weight that's really put on the woman especially, uh, from managing both the life and the work expectations. And I think that some of the pieces that I've really appreciated in working with my direct reports as they've kind of entered into these stages of, of their motherhood has really been their ability to communicate forward what their needs are. And so for example, I have one, one direct report who had a, a child not too long ago, and she has done an exceptional job of, of coming to me to tell me 
you know, this is where I'm at. Uh, I want to work uh, potentially some less hours, or I need to work a day shift on this particular day because daycare closes at 6 p.m. and I need to be be there for for my child. And those pieces, I think, are so important that as you're navigating that as a young mom, and it's things that I look forward to one day bringing forth uh, to, to my boss is to be direct about it. Know that you're gonna have to make some adjustments. You are juggling a lot. And if there's potentially some changes or adjustments that you need to make, like Jen mentioned, leaving work a little bit earlier, our, our jobs kind of maybe afford for that a little bit more sometimes, but speak up. Your boss is going to be willing to work with you. The fact is pharmacy is more and more female as the years pass on. So there is a lot of people going through the same thing. And so your boss has dealt with us many, many times. And so they're going to be able to kind of meet you uh, where you're at and come to some sort of compromise or be able to work with you uh, in order to make sure that you're also feeling like you're a successful mother, not just a successful pharmacist. Thanks for you both. That, that was really helpful. Um, so this has been a really great and informative conversation that just touched on a lot of topics that inform both our presence in the workplace and enhance our self-awareness. So I'd like to end by asking each of you to share any final practical tips that you may have for our listeners. Jade, thanks so much uh, for having me on today. It's really been a pleasure and an honor to kind of share a lot of these pieces. I think some of the last pieces that I'd like to share, I had mentioned these double standards that we're all navigating through as women. And I think what's most important is to know that regardless of the situation that you're in, you're going to be critiqued and evaluated. Every interaction that you have is being evaluated. And that's not to put uh, more self-pressure on all of us. We already have enough um, as it is. But I think it's just really important to have that self-awareness because that is what's going to carry forward that self-reflection and kind of build that into being more of a routine thing as you're evaluating your own presence and how you're being perceived by others, because it is so important to be intentional with your brand as both Jen and I have kind of mentioned uh, throughout this. And I think that there's definitely some do's and don'ts out there that we've mentioned already but just be intentional and take the time to self-reflect. If you mess up, it's not the end of the world. You can go back and recreate um, some of those relationships and work towards uh, mending those perceptions, but it is harder uh, to retrace your steps. It's much easier to proactively create that impression from the get-go. And that's why I think it's so important that we are even having this podcast in the first place uh, so that we can continue to self-reflect as women and continue to grow. And Jen, I know that you have so much wisdom, so I'm going to turn it over to you because I'm sure you have some advice to share. Thanks, Michelle. I'm going to share some advice that was shared with me early in, earlier in my career, and I, I try to share it with women when I get the opportunity to do so, especially those who are early in their career. This is really practical, and I don't mean for it to be harsh, but I, I think we should just be very direct about it. The first piece is that putting pressure on ourselves, we have enough pressure around us, we do put pressure on ourselves. Michelle had said before the importance of supporting one another as opposed to tearing each other down or competing with one another, competing and tearing each other down does no good. And it's going to exist no matter what, but we each have a personal choice to make in that regard. And being happy for someone else's success or seeing them be successful, I hope brings each of us happiness as well and an opportunity to learn and an opportunity to get better. 
you know, we, we should be supporting and sponsoring one another and opening doors for each other and, and trying to take that pressure away. Give feedback to one another to, to help us grow and learn. And titles don't matter in that regard. You know, share it. It's, it's important, especially if you care about the success of others. And very practically, if you're in a social setting, there are some things I think we need to consider related to that double standard. I, I think women tend to be judged harsher, and Michelle had shared this as well, but I think we're judged harsher than our, our male counterparts. You know, if you're in a situation where you can have a glass of wine and that's something you want to do, maybe have a glass of wine, but don't have multiple glasses of wine in a, in a professional setting. One, because it could change how you behave, and, and two, it's being evaluated and, and looked at. Uh, but similarly, from a sexuality standpoint and interactions with others, you know, women can be labeled pretty harshly around how promiscuous they're viewed to be and not not well earned. It's it's just perception. And human nature is to take gossip and, you know, share it with 10 other people so that it becomes this much bigger thing than what it needs to be about someone's professional reputation. And so I think just not putting ourselves in those circumstances right out of the gate, unless you are sure of the safety of the environment and that's something that you want to do, uh, but give yourself the, the best chances that you can have. And then, you know, when you're around your trusted circles or whatever that might be, then you may let some of your guard down. And, and I don't mean to say you always have to be on guard, just be cognizant of it and be aware of it and, and try to influence your environment and your first impressions and your lasting impressions and your professional brand. I think these are all things that we can do for one another that will help us be better as, as women in all of the roles that we serve throughout our profession. Well, I really appreciate both of your insight today. And I know I've taken a lot from this conversation and I'm really hoping that our audience feels the same. So thank you both Jennifer and Michelle for sharing your thoughts on self-awareness and executive presence and, and being a woman in this profession. So please join us here at ASHP Official for more podcasts as part of the Women in Pharmacy Leadership Series. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.